Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, David Hook concludes our series of messages on the book of Ecclesiastes. Today, looking at chapters 11 and 12. And now, here's David. The songs are very appropriate to our talk this morning and the challenge of getting us all to sing in different uh, levels. That's pretty challenging. That'll wake us up. So good. Last week, um, Steve, in his talk, about two minutes in, if you listen to the uh, recording on the, uh, on the website, he said something about like, life, life was like living in a fog. And I was, say, I was, I was at home then because I was coughing and, and we were sniffling. And I said, he just took my title. Because <laughs> that's exactly what I had already thought of for a title for this talk this morning. So, I'm again amazed at how the Lord weaves things together and brings us uh, thoughts to, to, to a direction. Let's just make it, take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this uh, wisdom that we have in your scriptures. We thank you for the time that we can talk about it together, think about it, study it, discuss it, and, uh, and read it. We pray that your spirit would lead and direct us into a good understanding and also into a direction that we can choose in our life to follow you and to keep our eyes fixed on you and on our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen. On the morning of January 26, the year 2020, at 9.06 a.m., a Sikorsky S-76 helicopter took off from John Wayne Airport in Orange County, California, for what was meant to be a short 125-kilometer flight to Camarillo Airport, just north of Los Angeles. A pilot, along with Kobe Bryant and seven other passengers, were on board. The experienced pilot decided to follow a major highway with its familiar landmarks. Unfortunately, as the ground was rising in elevation, the clouds were becoming lower. And about two-thirds of the way to their destination, the ceiling became too low to follow the highway. The pilot had to decide whether to turn back and land at another nearby airport or to climb through the clouds and get above them. At 9.40, the pilot informed air traffic control that he was going to climb. At 9.45, air traffic control noticed that the helicopter had climbed from 1,400 feet to 2,300 feet, but then had started to descend and turn left. Witnesses on the ground said they heard a helicopter flying very low, and then they saw it emerge from the low clouds just seconds before it slammed into the hillside at 9.45. Everyone on board died in that instant. What had gone wrong? Crash investigators later determined that the pilot had experienced what's called spatial disorientation. When he entered the fog, he lost his ability to perceive the horizon. He had no fixed reference on which to base his position. Instead, he was being guided by his internal balance mechanism, that's the inner ear, which was relaying unfortunately, faulty information to his brain. The problem is well known, and I discussed this with Jim and Carol, my pilot uh, consultants here. In the 1950s, 
experimenters put 20 pilots in flight simulators and then re recreated the conditions encountered when flying into a cloud. They observed the reactions of these pilots when they no longer had a visual fixed reference point. All 20 pilots crashed. The average time from entering the cloud to crashing was 178 seconds. 178 seconds to live is the title of a somewhat disturbing video that was made to illustrate the findings of this experiment and is still available on YouTube if you want to go there and look at it. The internal balance mechanism in our inner ear soon begins, begins to give us conflicting and unreliable data when our, and our, to our brains when we lose visual contact with the external fixed points of reference. When flying without any visual reference points, pilots need to rely on special instruments to maintain the plane's correct orientation and direction. Pilots have to be trained in the use of these instruments or avoid any situations which deprive them from, uh, of, the, of visual reference points. So I think that this problem of navigation illustrates the problems that can arise when we need to find meaning or to make value choices in life. Without a fixed reference point, it's impossible to determine what is meaningful. Without a reference point, everything becomes fluid, nebulous, cloudy, foggy. The teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes seem to have reached this very conclusion. He begins and ends his teaching with these words. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. This is in chapter 1, verse 2, and again in our chapter 12, verse 8. The teacher set out to find meaning and purpose in life, but again and again came to the bitter conclusion that all is a mist and striving after the wind. After making many observations and after many life experiences, this was the teacher's concluding statement. Does the teacher believe that this conclusion is universal in its application? Or might there still be the possibility of finding meaning under other conditions? I would suggest that there is a clue in the phrase, under the sun. The teacher uses this term frequently in reference to the physical and temporal world. That is the world which we experience with our physical senses. His conclusion applies to those conditions found under the sun. The search for meaning takes us beyond our physical world. We need a standard that cannot be found under the sun or in our material world. Just as up or down, right or left, forwards or backwards can't be determined without a fixed reference, neither can values such as good, evil, right, wrong, or meaning be determined without some standard. Without some starting point, there can never be an assessment of value. There can be no evaluation of purpose or meaning in life. Does such a standard or reference point exist? The teacher makes a number of references to God. God's existence is not limited to what is found under the sun. Having God as a reference point allows for the intriguing possibility of a broader conclusion. All may be meaningless under the sun, but that would change if we were not limited by the physical, but move beyond it to the metaphysical, 
that which transcends or surpasses the physical realm. I think that in these final remarks of the teacher that we are studying this morning, we can find some support for a broader conclusion than that which can be found under the sun. So let's turn our attention to the final part of the teacher's writings and attempt to glean some further wisdom from this book of Ecclesiastes. In the final two chapters, the teacher highlights two aspects of life that again suggest the futility of life under the sun. The teacher has mentioned them before, but returns to them again. These two characteristics of life highlight the need for a point of reference from which to derive a sense of direction, purpose, and meaning to make sense of life. The first eight verses of chapter 11 of Ecclesiastes at first reading seem like a collection of fairly loosely connected thoughts. Let's read them and then see if we can find some idea that sort of ties them together. Reading from the New Living Translation, Ecclesiastes 11, verses 1. Send your grain across the seas, and in time profits will flow back to you. But divide your investments among many places, for you do not know what risks might lie ahead. When clouds are heavy, the rains come down. Whether a tree falls north or south, it stays where it falls. Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. Just as you cannot understand the path of the wind or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb, so you cannot understand the activity of God who does all things. Plant your seed in the morning and keep busy all afternoon, for you don't know if profit will come from one activity or another, or maybe both. Light is sweet, how pleasant to see a new day dawning. When people live to be very old, let them rejoice in every day of life. But let them also remember, there will be many dark days. Everything still to come is meaningless. And the word in the Hebrew is hevel. So why do these verses, what do these verses have to say about life? I'd like to draw your attention to that last word that the teacher uses often, hevel. It is a key word in the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's the central word in the opening statement and the final conclusion that the teacher makes. It is often translated as meaningless, as it is here in the last word of the New Living Translation, as we just read. But it is a very versatile word in this book, and as you may recall, it literally means breath, wind, vapors, mist, smoke, or I say fog, if, if, and to go with my title this morning. And as Phil pointed out this, uh, in his first message, very helpfully, that it can be and should be translated in various different ways, depending on the context that the teacher is using, us, using it. Sometimes our English translations just stick to one, like the word meaningless, and just translate it like that. But it's often helpful to think of it as an other, uh, other of its uh, aspects of its meaning. And so, in the New English translation, it translates the word hevel as obscure. In this verse, uh, it is, it's, and as all that is about to come is obscure. And there is a good deal of life that is unknown or obscure, like being in a fog and unable to see any great distance. In this section that we just read, the teacher frequently refers to the uncertainty or the unpredictability of life 
uh, with the reference with references to you do not know or you cannot understand. Let's look at some of these uncertainties. So business ventures are uncertain. And it's wise, the teacher says, to divide your investments into various ventures because you don't know which ones are going to give you profit or loss. A few things in life could be certain. And we think of death and taxes to be those two things, you know. But here the teacher picks two more. He talks about clouds that are really full and heavy, like the ones we saw yesterday outside, you know, that... It's sure to pour any moment when the clouds look like that. So that's a bit more of a certainty. And he says, a tree, you don't know which way it may fall, but once it falls, it's not going anywhere else. Okay, so that's pretty certain. Um, I just, that's, there's this fallen tree on this side here. We were cycling in Kettle Lakes uh, this summer. Uh, Vicky was out ahead of me, and I was watching, and just I heard of sort of a snap, and this tree falls right beside, you can see where her bike handle is down in the corner there, and whomp. <laughs> and I sort of, and she had already just sort of gone by, and I, I saw it happen. I said, wow, that was, that was really weird. A, a tree, who would have thought a tree would fall just as you were cycling past it? You know, like, it's been there for 50, 60 years, and it hasn't fallen over, but just as we get by, it falls down. So we didn't know that was going to happen. That was uncertain. But once it was there, we didn't move it. <laughs> it And it missed Fortunately, it was just on the edge of the road. So that was a bit of an interesting time. So there are maybe a few certainties in life, but for the most part, we, we just don't know. The weather is always a popular topic of conversation and again, one of life's major, un, major uncertainties. Farmers are often thinking about the weather and uh, the teacher alludes to that. I, making hay is a great example of watching the clouds and waiting for perfect weather. Like many farmers in southern Ontario, my family farm where I grew up, we harvested hay. To make hay, you grow a field of grass and various other plants like clover and alfalfa. And when they become mature enough, uh, you cut the hay down and mow it down and lay it in rows. Then you wait. The hay has to dry. If it's baled up before it's dry, it goes moldy, spoils, or may even heat up enough to cause a barn, barn to burn into, burst into flames, which we, we've actually seen happen in our parts of the world. But uh, uh, it, it just has to dry right. Okay, So you need about three good drying days to get that grass turned into hay so it's dry enough to bale up and to store into the barn. If it rains while the hay is drying, it takes longer to dry, obviously, and some of the nutrient value of the hay is lost. The hay turns from that nice greenish color like you see nice hay to a kind of a browny color, which doesn't look so good. And then you often have to rake it, turn it over so that you dry the other side of it. And when you do that, you, of course, knock off some leaves. And again, the nutrient value of the hay drops. So three good straight days of sunshine. So make hay while the sun shines. Uh, makes sense, right? Except... How do you know you're going to get three straight days of sunshine? So you're watching the cut. It's going to rain Tuesday, so we won't cut the hay on Monday. We'll wait till Thursday. But Thursday looks a little bit iffy for Friday, Saturday. Maybe we'll wait till next week. We'll never harvest the hay, right? So you try your best to, to identify when the weather's going to be good, and then you cut your grass and hope. But we don't know. That's one of the uncertainties of life. So... 
Like the path of the wind or fetal development, the events of life and God's activity in our lives remain beyond our understanding. We can never be sure what activities will succeed and which ones will not. Even when life has been going well for a long stretch, dark times may be just around the corner. We simply don't know what the future will bring. And as the teacher has found on numerous attempts to find purpose and satisfaction, ultimately his efforts, which initially brought a degree of accomplishment, eventually were unfulfilling and empty. In that sense, our lives are hevel. They're foggy. They're obscure. Without some fixed reference mark, life will be a puzzle without a solution. We will be lost in the fog. I don't know if you've ever been lost, but you might know how important it is to get your bearings if you are lost. To know what direction is what. So one time I was out snowshoeing in the bush, not cycling this time. The snow was too deep for cycling. And uh, I was breaking trail. It was a beautiful day to snowshoe. You know, when you get that really thick layer of fresh snow and you're just out there enjoying the scenery, all the snow is soft and fluffy and covering the trees. It's just a, a really nice, peaceful moment. So I've been snowshoeing from home and went for a long, circuitous route. And I sort of put a sketch of what, what it sort of looked like. And I was going for some time, and then it was getting pretty hard. Breaking trail in fresh snow wasn't, <laughs> wasn't easy. So I decided better just take the direct route home, go straight home, rather than continue on my long circular course. So I set a course straight for home. And after a while, yeah, I still hadn't gotten home, and I, I was expecting to come out to this spot where I knew where I'd be. Uh, so I thought, well, I must have misjudged. Maybe I need to go a little bit more this way. And I adjusted my direction a bit and I kept going. And this went on for a bit longer and I became a little less certain that I was actually going in the right direction. And I was not, but I was not too worried because you could always backtrack along your snowshoe trail, even though that was going to take a long time. So after a bit more time, I was thinking that I was going to actually have to do that, backtrack. When to my surprise, I came along another snowshoe trail. Oh, somebody else has been here. And then I realized as I looked down the trail. This is exactly where I had been a little bit earlier and I had gone in a complete circle. And before that, I didn't realize, understand how people can get lost in the bush. Now I understood how that happens. So I became completely turned around. Instead of going straight, I'd gone in a circle and was actually going in the opposite direction to what I believed. We'll leave that part of the story out. Okay. They were fine. <laughs> uh, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> so what I needed uh, was helpful advice or a compass, right? Something that always points to a fixed reference point, somewhere where you can get your bearings. So the same is needed in life. When we have things that are foggy, we need to have a reference point to make sense out of life in its obscurity. The second troubling aspect of life is highlighted in the concluding remarks of the teacher. Reading from chapter 11, verses uh, 9 and 10, Young people, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. 
Do everything you want to do. Take it all in, but remember that you must give account to God for everything you do. So refuse to worry and keep your body healthy, but remember that youth with a whole life before you is meaningless, is hevel. So again, we encountered the word hevel. In this context, the translation could be fleeting. And again, the New English translation does that for us. For youth and the prime of life are fleeting. When we are young, life is ours for the living. The teacher agrees. Make the most of it. Finding meaning and purpose in life seems more achievable and less elusive in youth. Life takes on a challenge to be met. There are dreams to be lived and goals to meet. The teacher says, go for it. Live your life. Spend it well. Give a good account of yourself. But youth, like all of life, turns out to be brief, or fleeting. In actuality, there is very little time to get on course before it's too late. The teacher's concluding poem is a masterful description of aging and the brevity of life. In the poem, we are reminded that we, are, that we need to identify a reference point before the short time given to us expires. Much like the pilot training video, 178 seconds to live, we don't have long to find a reference point to fly by. Listen to the poem, again, in the New Living Translation. The translators here have emphasized the need to fix a point and have have clarified the metaphors for aging and death. You will notice, perhaps, that the NLT is a little different from some of your translations, if you're following with others, as the translators in this version have made some interpretive choices for us. Chapter 12, verse 1. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your Creator. Honor Him in your youth before you grow old and say, life is not pleasant anymore. Remember Him before the light of the sun, moon and stars is dim to your old eyes and rain clouds continually darken your sky. Remember Him before your legs, the guards of your house start to tremble and before your shoulders, the strong men stoop. Remember him before your teeth, your few remaining servants stop grinding. And before your eyes, the women looking through the windows see dimly. Remember him before the door to life's opportunities is closed and the sound of work fades. Now you rise at the first chirping of birds, but then all their sounds will grow faint. Remember him before you become fearful of falling and worry about the danger in the streets and before your hair turns white like an almond tree in bloom and you drag along without energy like a dying grasshopper and the caperberry no longer inspires sexual desire. Remember him before you near the grave, your everlasting home, where the mourners will weep at your funeral. Yes, remember your Creator now while you are young, before the silver cord of life snaps and the golden bowl is broken. Don't wait until the water jug is smashed at the spring and the pulley is broken at the well, for then the dust will return to the earth and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Let's look at a few of these spectacular metaphors for aging and dying. (laughs) Life loses its luster. 
the excitement fades and life becomes difficult. As my colleague Bill Boyd used to say, getting old is not for sissies. So spend some time with seniors and you will come to appreciate some of the challenges of aging. A lot of physical changes take place. Mobility problems, leg weakness, difficulty walking, shoulders drooping, loss of strength, dental problems, loss or decay, vision problems. Uh, at around 45 or 50, we start to find that our eyes aren't getting bad. Our arms are just getting too short, you know. Yeah. And uh, then we get cataracts and then we get retinal de- degeneration and all those things that limit our ability to see. Limited opportunities to work or to work on projects. We would like to do more, but we can't. Hearing impairment. What did you say? Can you repeat that? I can't understand what you're saying. Falls. Who would ever thought that just walking across the carpet would be a dangerous thing to do? You know, that's terrible, right? White hair or no hair. Loss of energy. All these experiences are common to us as they were to the teacher a thousand, two thousand, three thousand years ago. (laughs) It's amazing. We haven't changed in that regard. The timelessness of these metaphors is quite striking. The silver cord and the golden bowl seem to be images of life. And when they break, the life returns to the dust. Death is inevitable and comes to all, irrespective of one's station in life, rich or poor, wise or foolish, king or peasant, life is heavy, fleeting. But the teacher prescribes an important action to take in the light of life's brevity. Remember your Creator. Here is the fixed point. It's not a thing or an event, but rather a person. The very one who created us. He is not under the sun. He made the sun and exists outside of our physical world. He is the one that makes meaning and purpose possible. He gives direction and definition to our lives. To remember our creator is to revere him, to honor him, to fear him, to pattern our lives after his character, to live for him. In remembering that we have a creator, We acknowledge that we have been created for a purpose. We have been given the awesome vocation of being God's representative within his creation, his image bearers. The original readers of the Hebrew Bible would have been deeply moved by the knowledge that they were God's representatives on earth and the responsibility that came with that role. To remember our Creator has taken on even a deeper meaning now as Jesus has revealed so much more of this Creator than the teacher even got to see in his time. The writer to the letter of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2, And now in these final days he has spoken to us through his Son. Through the Son he created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. Jesus himself made this astonishing statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He claimed to be the reference point for determining our direction. As such, it makes a great deal of sense to me that in remembering our Creator, we should fix our eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the Creator revealed. 
He lived among us and asked us to follow him and live in him. We should look to him as the reference point which allows us to find meaning and direction in life. Many people, including all too many of our friends and family members, have either never recognized their creator or very sadly have chosen to forget him. They have decided that their own internal reference point or guidance system is all that is required to live life with purpose and meaning. Unfortunately, that mechanism has been shown to be unreliable and ineffective. Just like our inner ear balance system cannot keep us flying on course without an external reference, so too relying on our internal moral compass will not prevent catastrophe. There is no up, down, right, wrong, good or evil. There is only fog. That's exactly what the teacher has proved in his life experiences. People will claim they have they experience purpose and meaning without reference to God. Even the teacher notes that work and wisdom bring a degree of satisfaction, but this is not sufficient to bring meaning to life. Many people fill their life with a brief flurry of activity, but then what? I fear they will come to the same conclusion as the teacher. Everything is hevel, a fog. But they might be too late. We only have a short time to live. We must remember that our we must remember our Creator before it's too late. Remember, 178 seconds to live. The words of the teacher end with the same words which he began. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. Hevel, hevel, everything is hevel. It's very foggy. At this, and this is the reality of life under the sun without God. The experiment has been done and the results are conclusive. Outside of God, there's nothing that is fixed or solid. It's all a vapor. Only a reference to God can make any sense out of life. The editor of the book, who is someone different than the teacher, um, goes on to make a few summary statements. And this is the final verses of the book of Ecclesiastes. Keep this in mind. The teacher was considered wise and he taught the people everything he knew. He listened carefully to many proverbs, studying and classifying them. The teacher sought to find just the right words to express truths clearly. The words of the wise are like cattle prods, painful but helpful. Their collected sayings are like nail-studded stick with which a shepherd can drive the sheep. But my child, let me give you some further advice. Be careful, for writing books is endless and much study wears you out. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. The wisdom found in this book may be a bit prickly. It's not soft and cuddly but more like a pointy stick used to get livestock moving. The wisdom here will not let us get comfortable or complacent in our lives. We like it when life is going well, and we might be tempted to sit back and tell ourselves that we're doing a good job of flying the airplane. Like the poke of a stick, the words of the teacher are a wake-up call, reminding us that difficulties are coming. We need to check our instruments and get a fix on God. 
we might need a course correction. We need to stay alert and remember where we came from if we want to reach our destination. Don't get carried away overanalyzing it. Just get on with it. The editor takes everything said and makes a masterful concluding statement. Fear God. In other words, remember your Creator. He is the standard by which our lives will be measured. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the words of Solomon. We thank you for the timeless wisdom that he provides to us. For the compass direction that always swings back to true north. For the direction that gives us stability in life. That keeps us focused on you, Lord, our Creator. Help us in our, our feebleness of thinking and our, our tendency to wander, Lord, to remember that you are the one who loves us and sustains us and keeps us and draws us near and forgives us when we're sinful and brings us back into a place of relationship and, and comfort. So we just draw unto you, Lord, this morning for wisdom. We ask the Spirit of God to lead us through the week. We ask the message of Ecclesiastes to reside within us and provide to us this resounding thought that you are God and we will follow you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church, where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area, or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.